This episode is brought to you by Milano Cookies. Look, sometimes that long Zen yoga class is just not in the cards. So maybe a cookie is. Pepperidge Farm Milano believes you should make some time for yourself once in a while. I know I have a particular space in my sewing room that I like to just take a few minutes every day. I sit there. I think about things. It's kind of like meditation and munching at the same time. You can get that yummy, beautiful cookie flavor. It makes it luxurious and delightful, and I always feel recharged. Milano cookies are truly a treat worthy of your me time. They're delicate and crispy with luxuriously rich chocolate in the middle. You really want to keep these just for you. So remember to save something for yourself with Pepperidge Farm Milano. Do you like boats? Do you like big boats? Do you like poor people and the rich people they serve on big boats? Are you always like, what goes on below deck? Hi, this is Anna Hosnier. And Nick Turner. The hosts of Deckheads. And we want to take you on a fun and goofy adventure. In this binge-style podcast, we will watch and recap every episode of Bravo's Below Deck and all of its spinoffs. And we're going to release an episode a day so you can watch along with us and listen to our silly daily recaps. Listen to Deckheads when it drops on February 20th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class. From HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah Dowdy. And I'm Dublina Chakraborty. And we know that a lot of you guys love royal stories. It doesn't seem to matter who, whether it's Queen Nzinga or Elizabeth I. It doesn't seem to matter where the story is taking place, China, France, England. As long as there's a title involved, people are our game, it seems. So we thought that a little summer series on some two-timing princesses might be perfect, kind of a nice counterpart to all of the gangsters and pirates and circus stars that we've been talking about lately, as well as some of the sports subjects that we're going to be featuring for the 2012 Olympics. But today's story is particularly fairy tale, like a particularly fairy tale, like royal story, um, though kind of more in the vein of the Brothers Grimm than Disney, something that's fitting, though, because it does take place in Germany. Yeah, just a little taste of what you'll find. There's an unlikely inheritance. Uh, there's a missing count and possible exhumation here. And there's even a princess held prisoner in a castle. So today we're going to kick off this little series by discussing Sophia Dorothea of Sella, the Electress of Hanover, the uncrowned Queen of Great Britain, and the Prisoner of Alden. So appropriately enough in this tale, events began long before Sophia Dorothea's birth, back when her father, George William, passed on his inheritance to his younger brother, Ernst August. So the story here, George William didn't want to marry his intended bride, Princess Sophia of the Palatinate. And in exchange for getting out of that unwanted match, George William basically said, all right, well, I'll ra- I'd rather rule the smaller duchy of Sella and promise never to marry. So no legitimate heirs will get in the way, cause trouble down the line in Hanover. And the arrangement, even though it sounds kind of unconventional, it really did work out fine for a time. The younger brother, Ernst August, went ahead and married Princess Sophia, became the Duke of Hanover and started a family while his older brother, who had given up his inheritance, traveled around Europe, uh, didn't get married. He kept to prostitutes and didn't really pose any sort of threat, like a comeback threat. But things changed a little bit in 1665. 
Yeah, he fell in love, and he fell in love with a Huguenot lady named Eleanor Dolbruz. And so prostitutes weren't going to do it for him anymore. He wanted to get married. And so at first they only had a morganatic marriage, which meant that they were married in God's eyes, but not in the state's eyes. And a year later they had a daughter together named Sophia Dorothea. George William and Eleanor then started agitating for a more official marriage so that their daughter could inherit and be considered legitimate. So finally, after 10 years, Duke and Duchess Ernst and Sophia agreed to this. They were like, okay, why not? We have our own male heirs while the Duke of Sella and Eleanor only have this one daughter. Not so a threat. Exactly. Not too much of a threat. And the new arrangement made little Sophia Dorothea legitimate and also fabulously wealthy. Yeah, she was quite the wealthy heiress, so her parents began shopping around for potential grooms for their daughter, like the future king of Denmark. I mean, they were aiming pretty high. Uh, Auntie Sophia didn't really think that match was very <laughs> likely, though. According to Eleanor Herman in Sex with the Queen, she supposedly said, quote, fancy a king's son for that bit of a bastard. Not a very nice thing to say about your niece, but words to remember, too, for later in this episode. A more likely possibility, though, for little Sophia Dorothea was the Duke of Wolfenbüttel, who was a local rival of Ernst August. So seemed like a, a likely match and a good groom for her. So by this time, Sophia Dorothea was 15, and it looked like the Wolfenbüttel engagement was really going to happen. So Duke Ernst and Duchess Sophia, however, decided that it would be foolish to let so much wealth just slip away because they had these old family issues. So they decided, why not have her marry their own son, George Lewis, and unite the duchies of Hanover and Sella? So according to the Women in World History Encyclopedia, a lot of historians write about this match like it was just doomed from the start. While it may not really have been that much worse than a lot of dynastic marriages of the era. That said, though, we wanted to get that out there. That said, the couple didn't really seem ideal for each other. Sophia Dorothea was considered especially beautiful. She had dark hair, fair skin. She had a very spirited personality. She hadn't been educated in many serious subjects, but she was intelligent. She spoke several languages. She loved to read. She would dance. She played harpsichord. She was a talented embroiderer. Her cousin, George Lewis, on the other hand, um, wasn't the most handsome guy. He was kind of short. He had popping blue eyes. He did grow up eventually to become a talented general. He did enjoy music. That was one thing they had in common. He was a patron of Handel. But he wasn't considered courtly or particularly intelligent either. So not a good match for Sophia Dorothea's spirited personality. Yeah, and just to give you an idea of what other th people thought of Sophia Dorothea's cousin as well, even his mom thought that he was kind of thick. So, I mean, if you can't get your mom's endorsement, <laughs> your mom doesn't like you. That's pretty bad. But she actually wrote to her niece about the upcoming marriage. $100,000 a year is a goodly sum to pocket without speaking of a pretty wife who will find a match in my son, George Lewis, the most pig-headed, stubborn boy who ever lived and who has round his brain such a thick crust that I defy any man or woman to ever discover what is in them. He does not care much for the match itself, but $100,000 a year have tempted him as they would have tempted anybody else. Really, again, if your mom says that you have a thick crust around your brain, <laughs> I mean, that's 
what what can you do? Really? But at least he gets the value of money, right? <laughs> he does understand that money is important for a young princeling. But like Sophia Dorothea, George Lewis, who at this point was 22, had also really been shopped around Europe as an eligible bachelor by his parents for the past few years. His most ambitious prospect had been his kinswoman, Princess Anne, who was the future queen of Great Britain. Uh, you should remember her name for later. But according to Richard Cavendish in History Today, she met him and just immediately wrote him off, was not interested. Uh, Sophia Dorothea, though, she had to settle, I suppose. And she and George Lewis were married November 21st, 1682. And again, according to Herman, soon after the marriage, a fortune teller warned George Lewis that if he was responsible for his new wife's death in any way, he would die within a year. Hmm. So (laughs) I don't know what kind of business that fortune teller was after, but um, creepy downer fortunes aside, the couple did seem to get along well enough, at least initially. They produced a son within the year, also named George, and a daughter a few years after that, also named Sophia Dorothea. Fortunately, we don't have to talk about them too much. We already have (laughs) Sophia and Sophia Dorothea. We don't need another one in the equation. But... um, They didn't exactly get along well. I mean, they tolerated each other, it seems. And Duchess Sophia apparently really hated her daughter-in-law. But again, nothing too out of the ordinary for a royal couple. I mean, I think some of the earlier episodes we've done on royalty really illustrates this is the norm almost. Yeah, I was about to say, we've definitely run into this kind of thing before. But trouble did come along when Duke Ernst August's longtime mistress, the Countess Claire Elizabeth Plotten, decided that Sophia Dorothea was becoming way too popular at court. She personally selected a mistress for George Lewis, who could be her puppet so that she would have more control over both Duke Ernst and his heir. And for this job, she picked Melissina von Schulenberg, who was pretty but unusually thin for the time. Plus, she was much taller than George Lewis, so they made quite the pair. Quite the pair. But they did take up together. So now Melissina is Countess Plotten's spy, and he's neglecting his wife and ignoring his parents' requests to be more discreet about his new relationship. Sophia Dorothea didn't exactly back down, though. She just started making fun of the two of them in public, especially the height difference. That spirited personality. (laughs) Soon, though, Sophia Dorothea really had a better kind of distraction than making fun of her husband and his mistress, because in March of 1688, she met a 26-year-old Swedish count named Philip Christoph von Königsmark, who was fighting in the army of Hanover. And they'd actually met before when they were just kids, because his father had brought him to Stella for training. They'd run into each other there. But by this point, Königsmark was a polished, courtly man, popular in the court, where Ernst August made him a colonel of the guard. So he was on the up and up. And he and Sophia Dorothea became friends. He was somebody for her to talk to about the kind of things that she liked. But weirdly, he also took up with the Countess Plotten in a more intimate sort of relationship. And perhaps to get out of that kind of awkward situation, he signed up for a military expedition far away from Hanover in Greece. 
But that expedition proved to be pretty disastrous, and Philip, one of the few survivors, came rushing back to Hanover in 1690. And at this point, he is no longer interested in the Countess Platten. He's smitten with Sophia Dorothea, so he's kind of changed his tune a little bit, and they started exchanging letters. Since many of these early notes still survive, the point when their relationship became romantic is usually pinned around April 1691. And here's just a sample passage from one of their notes. Quote, Farewell, my beloved brunette. I embrace your knees. Or again from Philip, quote, What I wouldn't give to hear midnight strike. Be sure to have smelling salts ready, lest my excess of joy cause me to faint. <laughs> I really like that one. <laughs> um, so these new lovers tried to keep things super secret, but they just weren't very great at um, concealing what they were going through. So they used code for all of their letters, but their code was not too hard to figure out. It was all number or named based. So for instance, Sophia Dorothea was 201, Philip was 120. They called George Lewis the reformer, which just makes me think of a Pilates machine. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they called Countess Plotten fat one. So clearly he was not was not so into his old lover anymore. But Sophia Dorothea's lady-in-waiting would handle a lot of the logistics, the rendezvous logistics, sneaking Philip into her ladies' rooms. But sometimes they'd also meet up in the palace gardens, and they'd whistle this little tune to recognize each other there called the Spanish Follies. And then together they would hoof it over to Philip's house, which he purposely lived really nearby, Sophia Dorothea. Um, and it was a good cover, too, because Sophia Dorothea could pretend she was just visiting Philip's sister there, Aurora, you know, not doing anything else. Hey, listeners, I wanted to tell you about a new podcast from iHeartRadio called The Women, hosted by Rose Reed. It is a fascinating and deep dive interview show where Rose talks to changemakers and disruptors, and she finds out what really drives them. So she will ask each of them, what was your first stand and how do you navigate success and failure? And really, what's the cost of fighting for others? These interviews are really personal, and they're candid, and sometimes they're a little bit crass, but they are always really enlightening. You can listen to these firebrands and take away lessons that will help you navigate your own life and forge your own path. The debut season includes women like Valerie Plame, the former CIA agent who is now running for Congress, and whistleblower and pediatrician Dr. Mona Hanna-Atisha, who exposed the Flint water crisis and became the center of a swirling, swirling amount of problems, uh, and the legendary Buffy St. Marie, 60s songwriter and activist. Uh, I have personal interest in this show because I adore Rose and I executive produce it, and I think you're really going to enjoy the way that she gets into these conversations that feel like two friends talking, and they are an absolute delight. So subscribe to The Women on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Holly, we have some exciting news. Yeah, I am wildly excited, and uh, people will have another opportunity to watch me cry at art. <laughs> yeah, you sounded so calm, and it's not a calm situation at all. Uh, our trip to Paris last year was really successful, so we're doing another similar trip this year, but this time to Rome and Florence. It's May 14th through 21st, 2020, and like last time, it is with a company called Defined Destinations, who is planning out this whole trip for us. Yeah, and during that week-long trip, we are going to see some of the great art that we have talked about on this show many times, including Michelangelo's David. We are going to go to Tuscany. We're going to visit St. Peter's Basilica. We are going to the 
Sistine Chapel. So it's going to be a fantastic trip. You can get the whole list of places that we are going and information about booking at defineddestinations.com. Scroll down to the Roman Florence trip with Stuff You Missed in History Class or come over to our social media. We have posts about it there too. So this affair could have gone on for a while. It could have been tolerated even if they were just a little bit more discreet and the family situation had stayed exactly what it was. Because there were kids already, legitimate heirs who were in the picture. Yeah, so there was something at stake. But in 1692, a couple things happened. Hanover's profile increased tenfold because the Duke Ernst became an elector, which was a prestigious position in the Holy Roman Empire. And Ernst August, who had hoped and worked for this honor for many years, didn't want his daughter-in-law scandal raining on his parade. So he sent Aurora out of the country, knowing that she helped pass letters between Philip and Sophia Dorothea, and he ordered Philip off on military expeditions. And then he definitely started intercepting letters between the two. So, so it was hard for them two, to communicate. Yeah, and if they were going to continue on together at this point, they were really going to have to make a major leap. So according to the Women in World History Encyclopedia, Sophia Dorothea and Philip desperately wanted to run away together and uh, hoped that once they did that, it would be easy enough for her to divorce George Lewis and then maybe remarry and live together far away from Hanover. A real fairy tale kind of situation. The only problem, though, was they needed money. It was not a fairy tale. Sophia Dorothea didn't have any money, any property in her own name. She even wrote to Philip at one point, yesterday I read my marriage contract. It hurt me so much that I had tears in my eyes because she realized she didn't have anything left. And um, he, you know, he's a count, so you might be wondering, well, couldn't he sponsor this little getaway? But he had a lot of gambling debt. So they were just sort of frozen where they were. And um, Banished Philip got pretty dramatic not being able to be near Sophia Dorothea anymore. You might have already guessed that from his smelling salts note, but he wrote to her saying, quote, I have a consolation here close to me, not a pretty girl, but a bear, which I feed. If you should fail me, I will bear my chest and let him tear my heart out. No pressure. And also, just to mention this, sometimes he would sign things in his own blood. So he was taking it hard. At one point, he even deserted his post to come see her. His commanding officer let him off the hook, let him off pretty easy, but warned him that he's being spied on. They basically ignored the increasing warnings from from his commanding officer, from everyone. From friends. Philip wrote Sophia Dorothea, quote, We are treading on dangerous ground, but when people love as we love, they do not consider trifles. And if one holds the loved one, what matters the cost? Were I to see the scaffold before my eyes, I would not swerve. So in this last-ditch move for money and protectors as a way to escape together, the couple decided to bring politics into their romance and into their plans. That turned out to be a very fatal error. Um, Philip, who was obviously feeling pretty ostracized in Hanover, decided to switch his military allegiance to the rival duchy of Saxony, where, conveniently, his friend was also duke. And he also made plans with the Duke of Wolfenbüttel, for possible refuge there. So this was the guy, if you remember, who Sophia was supposed to marry his son or could have married his son. So he had some... um he had some friends outside of Hanover who he was starting to think of relying on. 
So carrying on this indiscreet affair after there were legitimate children in the picture, as we mentioned, that was one thing. But making plans to actually leave the country, it meant that Sophia Dorothea could be kind of a tool to use against Hanover with her giant dowry as the hostage. And that just wasn't going to happen. unacceptable. Right. In the last days of June 1694, Philip arrived in Hanover to run away with the princess, and no one ever saw him alive again. So here's where our story gets a little bit mysterious. According to some sources, like Cavendish, Ernst August simply ordered Philip's assassination, which was carried out on July 1st, and possibly because of the switched allegiance from Hanover to Saxony. That might have so been the reason behind it. a political kind of reason. But according to Herman, though, things could have even been a little more complicated than that, though, and not quite as politically motivated either. So Philip was apparently recognized when he entered Hanover, but was allowed to proceed along with his date with Sophia Dorothea, and the two presumably met up, made plans to flee the following night. But Countess Plotten, who certainly is playing the evil stepmother sort of role in this in this whole story, was in the know. She knew that Philip was in the city because of her spy network, and she alerted Ernst August and got permission to have Philip arrested while he was there in the castle. But as Philip left Sophia Dorothea's rooms, he met the guards who had been ordered to arrest him. And somehow or another, whether on Countess Platten's orders or just accidentally things got out of hand, he wound up dead in the hall. Sophia Dorothea just not too far away and none the wiser. So at this point, Ernst August is horrified, fearing some kind of diplomatic incident if this count turns up dead under his roof. And he has the body hidden under the Great Hall floor and buried in quicklime. So there's a kind of interesting follow-up note to this. Decades after the death, workmen supposedly found a skeleton in quicklime with Philip's ring. Unfortunately, though, no modern research can be done on this since the palace was destroyed in World War II. Which is, yeah, I mean... Don't you wish you knew more about this? But meanwhile, after this uh, murder or assassination or whatever whatever it might have been, Sophia Dorothea was arrested along with her lady's maid. And she didn't even learn about Philip's death for several weeks, which is just particularly sad. And um, Sophia Dorothea really kind of held her ground, too. She didn't admit to adultery, although she did agree to a divorce and was ultimately sent to the Castle of Alden, which I know it sounds like a prisoner in a castle reminds you of Rapunzel or something, but um, this place was really more like a large brick house. You can find pictures of it online. It's a rambling sort of place. It doesn't look particularly luxurious, but it's also not like a creepy tower or anything. So after refusing one last offer by Ernst August to deny the whole thing and separate instead of divorce and just hush up this whole huge family scandal that she'd caused, she and George Lewis were, in fact, divorced on December 28, 1694. So Sophia Dorothea lost her title and lost contact with her kids. Her father wouldn't support her or visit her, but he did allow her a large allowance. For the first year, she wasn't allowed out of the house at all. In the following years, though, she was allowed to take short carriage rides, but only under armed guard. Her mother could visit her, and she would patronize charities. She even rebuilt a local town at one point when it was burned down. 
and she thought after a time that she'd be released on good behavior. Uh, so she really tried to keep up that she good did. behavior. At one point, she even waited patiently during a fire to be given the order to evacuate. She wasn't going to leave until she got permission to go. Um, and for a few years, too, people around Europe really talked about her a lot. And they also talked about Count Philip a lot, too, wondered what happened to that that guy who was so courtly and such a good soldier? Embassies inquired after him. Louis XIV was curious. And Aurora really put a lot of pressure on Hanover. She had become the mistress of the Elector of Saxony. And so with the help of her beau, uh, she really tried to find out what on earth happened to her brother. Where did he go? Was he murdered? Finally, though, after a few years, the story just died down. It was old news by this point. And it really might have stayed kind of a forgotten scandal of Hanover had George Lewis not been added to the British line of succession. So just to give you a little explanation here, because you're probably wondering what's up with that. In 1698, George Lewis succeeded his father as elector of Hanover. But by 1701, he seemed poised to inherit something even bigger from his mother, Duchess Sophia. King William, the current British monarch, didn't have any children by his then-deceased wife, Mary, and the next in line, who is Mary's sister, Princess Anne, the same one who turned down George Lewis earlier in the podcast, and we asked you to remember her name. (laughs) She had had many pregnancies, but no kids that survived beyond childhood. When her longest surviving son died, the line of succession was suddenly quite bleak. So enter Duchess Sophia. Even though there were plenty of potential heirs further up the line, uh, more closely related to Anne, Sophia was the nearest Protestant heir, which was something determined decisively in the Act of Settlement in 1701. So Duchess Sophia definitely hoped that she would survive her distant cousin Anne to become queen, but she ended up dying just a few weeks before her in 1714. So that, of course, made Sophia's son, George Lewis, the next in line. He ended up becoming George I of Great Britain, August 1st, 1714. He hasn't seemed like the um, the coolest guy in, in most of this podcast so far, but he was really unpopular in his new country. He couldn't speak English. He had to conduct all of his state business with his ministers in their common language French. And he wasn't courtly either, something we had mentioned earlier. He didn't really impress people. And, of course, lots of folks were wondering where on earth is this guy's wife? Why don't we have a queen? Yeah, once they realized that she wasn't dead or crazy, that she was imprisoned in Alden, Sophia's, that imprisonment, Sophia Dorothea's imprisonment started to look very bad. And George's mistress, on top of everything, George's mistress, Melusina, was also disliked, as was his other main confidant, Sophia Charlotte von Kielmansega, who was Countess Plotten's daughter. So, I mean, the thing here was, maybe, was she George's friend? No one really knew who she was. Was she George's friend? Was she his mistress? Uh, but she's also maybe his half-sister because maybe of Plotten's <laughs> relationship with her father, his father. Yeah, And so. you'll see a lot of different things about her, like definitely his mistress or no, they were just friends. He relied on her. He would have known she was his half-sister. Um, kind of just something to put out there. 
So back home, anti-Hanoverians also rallied behind the imprisoned princess, but not in any sort of productive way. I mean, they didn't get her out of her imprisonment or anything. After spending more than 30 years in her castle, Sophia Dorothea died on November 13, 1726, at age 60. So you would think after all of these years, um, George I would just be ready to wrap things up tidily, but he did not handle the news very gracefully. He ordered his ex-wife's things to be burned. He forbade the court of Hanover to mourn for her, and he didn't even deal with funeral arrangements until Melusina pressured him into, okay, you got to do something about this, because um, it should be said, too, Melusina was pretty superstitious. She often spoke with birds. She believed she could receive signs and omens from them and um, thought she was getting some avian pressure from a spirit of Sophia Dorothea to get her body taken care of. Finally, though, in the May following Sophia Dorothea's death, uh, George decided to visit Hanover, you know, his his home. While traveling by carriage to Osnabrück in the middle of the night, they stopped for a minute and somebody handed him a letter. When he read the letter at dawn, he realized it was a deathbed rant from Sophia Dorothea and immediately felt ill Not too long after that, he suffered a stroke, and he ended up dying June 11th, 1727. Um, You know, could just be a stroke and some other kind of news he received, but uh, we have to to think about the curse. Yeah, the fortune teller's prediction coming true. Just a few months later, within a year of his wife's death. um, So, creepy, yeah. The future is closer than you think, and it all starts in the palm of your hand. You may have heard the news, 5G is coming. But what does that really mean? How will it impact me? In this new iHeart series, This Time Tomorrow, presented by T-Mobile for Business, join me, Oswald Oshin, and my co-host, Cara Price, as we walk you through the true revolution in mobility that will change the way we interact with the world around us. From environmental science to law enforcement, entertainment, healthcare, and travel, Innovation is coming. Join us as we explore how this revolution could impact your life and hear just how close we are getting to a more connected future full of possibilities in the age of 5G. This Time Tomorrow, presented by T-Mobile for Business, is now available on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts. His son, now George II, succeeded him, and just like a lot of the story, accounts on his reaction differ depending on where you look. According to the Women in World History Encyclopedia, George II basically carried on his father's policy of ignoring his mother's name entirely. But according to Herman, he immediately brought out two portraits of her for his own chambers. He also, and this seems likely either way you look at it, wanted to review the Hanoverian court records, including those last six months of Philip's letters, to find out what happened between his parents, what happened with his mother's imprisonment, what really went down. And unfortunately, whether it was to protect his mother's memory or to protect his family from future embarrassment, so covering both of those uh, those emotions he could have had, he decided to burn the records. 
There is some documentation left, though, and, um, you know, we've been quoting from some of these letters. Aurora had most of the correspondence. It's now stored at a Swedish university, um, just everything except those last six months, pretty much. Some more notes somehow turned up with Frederick the Great, too, who was Sophia Dorothea's grandson through her daughter. So not exactly sure how that happened. Um, some of these letters have been suggested as frauds. Others not. Uh, just this whole story has a lot of murkiness behind it. But that's always sort of fun, too. But that makes it sort of interesting, too, because then there are just more possibilities out there for us to explore. And it adds that little element of mystery to it. It does. It makes it seem even more like a story, like a fairy tale. Um, all of these elements and these would be, could be sort of endings. So um, I really enjoyed learning some about Sophia Dorothea and... Um, I think it's probably a good time, though, to go ahead and talk about some listener mail. So I thought this podcast would be a good one to include a letter we received from listener Adam because he also talks about how history and stories can seem one and the same sometime. He wrote in to say, I can honestly say that history has been an interest of mine my whole life, but I never liked learning it in school. You probably already know, but in Spanish, the word for history and story are the same. Historia. I think that's what makes your podcast so interesting. You turn each podcast into a story, and who doesn't like hearing stories? For the last 10 months, I've been traveling through Latin America on what I call the Happy Nomad Tour. After being miserable, quote, living the dream of living, working in worry-free Denmark for a wind power company, I finally started asking myself what my passions are, what my dreams are, and what I want out of life. I call this process the happiness plunge. My goal as a traveler is to leave each place better than how I found it, which I do by volunteering everywhere I go. I've had volunteering experiences such as feeding the elderly at a nursing home in Mexico, installing solar panels in rural Honduras, attracting book donations for a rural library project in Peru, playing with kids at orphanages in Costa Rica and Ecuador, and marketing an organization that turns donated used bikes into bike machines in Guatemala. There's a lot I can offer as an engineer and an MBA. I listened to quite a few HowStuffWorks podcasts on my 10 to 20 hour bus rides and wanted to, in a very small way, thank you for all you've given me. Peru was my last stop in Latin America, and I thought the alpaca wool choyos were a great way to say thanks and a nice break from the postcards he normally receive. Note from us, we do love receiving postcards. (laughs) Uh, He went on to say, I know it doesn't get too cold in Atlanta, but still I want to protect those knowledge-filled noggins. So he sent us, like he said, these awesome hats and um, a common misconception, it does get pretty cold in Atlanta, just not for very long. It does, yeah. February's not fun around here. No, it, it gets it gets quite chilly, but um, and so we love that. We we definitely need good hats to keep us mm-hmm. warm in the winter. And I just thought this was such a great note. A lot of um, a lot of podcasters recently got some of these choyos, and it's fun to see them on on everybody's desks and maybe on their heads come around fall or or winter. Yeah, I have to say we were rather jealous when we <laughs> saw Jonathan and Chris. I think were the first to receive them, and we were eyeing them enviously. So then we got ours. then we got our own, and I think ours are the best. But. Yeah, they're they're beautiful. They're like purple and blue. We'll post pictures of them when it's cold enough to we wear will. them. Um, so I also thought Adam's story reminded me a lot of the sort of Evlia Chelebi listener mail that we did recently. All these stories about people who are just deciding to go for it and travel to these cool places and 
give back while they were doing it. Yeah, and the motivation behind his travel or what he's doing while he's traveling, volunteering, is very admirable. We just volunteered the other day. We have a day every year that our company volunteers. Discover your impact day. And every time we do it, I think I need to do this more. Yeah, I think the exact same thing. We were at an animal shelter. We did post a picture of that of us with an adorable puppy. Um, So, yeah, thank you so much, Adam, for writing in and sharing what you're doing and also talking a little bit about how you connect history to stories. I think that's something we definitely try to do, even when it is not so obvious as Sophia Dorothea's story. Yeah. And so if you'd like to share a story with us, or maybe you have been on some travels or adventures that you want to share with us too, you can write us at historypodcast at discovery.com. You can also find us on Facebook and we're on Twitter at Missed in History. And if you want to learn a little bit more about other famous historical couples, unfortunately, these guys didn't make the list. We do have an image gallery called Famous Historical Couples, and you can find that on our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Listeners, I wanted to tell you about a new podcast from iHeartRadio called The Women, hosted by Rose Reed. It is a fascinating and deep dive interview show where Rose talks to changemakers and disruptors and she finds out what really drives them. So she will ask each of them, what was your first stand and how do you navigate success and failure? And really, what's the cost of fighting for others? These interviews are really personal and they're candid and sometimes they're a little bit crass, but they are always really enlightening. You can listen to these firebrands and takeaway lessons that will help you navigate your own life and forge your own path. The debut season includes women like Valerie Plame, the former CIA agent who is now running for Congress, and whistleblower and pediatrician Dr. Mona Hanna-Attisha, who exposed the Flint water crisis and became the center of a swirling, swirling amount of problems, uh, and the legendary Buffy St. Marie, 60s songwriter and activist. Uh, I have personal interest in this show because I adore Rose and I executive produce it, and I think you're really going to enjoy the way that she gets into these conversations that feel like two friends talking, and they are an absolute delight. So subscribe to The Women on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Available now from iHeart, a new series presented by T-Mobile for Business, The Restless Ones. Join me, Jonathan Strickland, as I explore the coming technological revolution with the restless business leaders who stand right on the cutting edge. They know there is a better way to get things done, and they are ready, curious, excited for the next technological innovation to unlock their vision of the future. In each episode, we'll learn more from the restless ones themselves and dive deep into how the 5G revolution could enable their teams to thrive. The Restless Ones is now available on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts.